It's good to be here with you guys tonight as we kick off our new Gratitude Rock series. Now, some of you are going, did they really name a series called Gratitude Rocks? Like, gratitude is awesome. Well, it's not quite like that. It's going to be a little bit different. You're going to see that during the message. Uh, but we're excited to be jumping into this series right before we hit the Thanksgiving holidays. Now, uh, a lot of us, we like to go spend time with family. I love spending time with my family. I've got an older sister, and she's got these two little girls that are the cutest things in the world. And uh, I don't get to go see them, unfortunately, but I get to FaceTime them. So not that long ago, I was FaceTiming them, and uh, she's got this uh, one little girl named Willow, and she's the oldest, and then the younger one is Woven. Okay, so uh, I call her, I FaceTime her, and I'm like talking with my sister. And all of a sudden, like I'm seeing her arm get pulled on by one of the little girls. And I'm like, oh, it looks like someone wants your attention, Bree. She's like, oh, yeah, it's Willow. I promised them I'd give them cookies after lunch, and uh, I forgot to give them cookies. And so, you know, she's going, mommy, mommy, cookie, cookie. And so she's like, okay, Willow, wait, hold on. And then Woven is the youngest. Bear is like missing almost all of her teeth. And she's kind of sitting there and she's going, yeah, I should chant for cookies too. She's like, cookie, 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 right? Like she's like screaming and they're both going. And I'm just sitting as a bird's eye view watching this and just laughing and loving that I don't have kids at this point. And, and so she's like, she's like, hold on, Bryce. Like I got to go get them cookies. And so I'm watching this whole thing play out. And she goes, hey, Willow, here's your cookie. What do you say before I give you the cookie? And she goes, please, mommy, can I have the cookie? She's like, yes, you can. Here you go. And she grabs the cookie and she goes, all right, now, Willow, what do you say? She goes, thank you, mommy. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Willow, great job. Yeah, cool. Then it comes to the little one. She's like, hey, please. Uh, or she goes, hey, uh, sorry, there's like some distraction going on in the back. Uh, she's like, hey, do you want a cookie? She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, okay, well, what do you say before I give you the cookie? She goes, peace, right, with her like gap in her teeth. She's like, okay, here you go. And then she's supposed to repeat back, thank you. But instead, what she does is she put the cookie in her mouth and she starts sucking on it like a little baby does, getting the cookie all moist and gross. And I mean, it's like just sitting there in her mouth and she's just going, well, or woven, what do you say? Nothing. She's just still like sucking on this cookie. She's like, woven, what do you say? Nothing. So then she pulls the cookie from her mouth and she fusses for a second, right? Like little babies do. She fusses, kind of throws a little bit of fit, and she goes, Woven, what do you say? And she goes, in some gibberish accent, she's like, Angu, right? And then she gives her the cookie. And then sure enough, like I'm talking with my sister, and they come back, and uh, she's getting pulled on again, and I'm like, what in the world do the girls want now? And they go, more cookies, more cookies, more cookies, right? They just wanted more cookies. And my sister just looks at me and she looked like she had been through a day and a half. I mean, she's like, this is just rough, like constantly feeding these kids. And she's like, Bryce, here's the thing about kids. They are amazing. They are so awesome. I love having kids, but holy cow, they always want more and they never seem to ever have enough. And they can never be thankful for what they have. And, you know, we were laughing and talking and I was like, man, thank goodness I don't have kids right now. But as I started thinking about it more and more and more, I realized how, how similar I am, right? Like we're all pretty similar in that way. Now kids, they have a vague sense of needing to be thankful, right? 
Like they go, yeah, I know, they, they, like as they grow up, there's, a, there's an understanding, right? She knew she should have said thank you once she had the cookie, even at such a young age, but she wasn't gonna say because mom already gave her the cookie, so why would she, right? The kids have a vague sense of being thankful, of needing to be thankful, yet what they, what they really think they need is more experiences to be thankful for. They think they need, I need more experiences to be thankful. Here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes what you'll see is, well, if I just had what I wanted, then I'd be thankful. If I just got what I deserved, then I'd be thankful. If you gave me what you owed me, then I'd be thankful. Right, and you and I, we've never struggled with this ever before in our lives. We've never wrestled with uh, looking at the things that we have and being thankful for them. Right, we all know that's not true. We, we've had plenty of times in our lives where we struggle with recognizing what we have and being thankful for those things. You and I know that we're supposed to be thankful, right? And you even expect it from other people. You're like, yeah, when I do something nice for you, I expect to hear a thank you. And when you don't hear a thank you, it's like, whoa, why did I just open that door for you? Why did I just get you that thing? Right? Some of you grew up maybe in the church, school. Your mom brought you up hearing this one phrase that I'm sure everybody could probably repeat if I said it. So I'm going to say it. You need to have an attitude of what? An attitude of gratitude. An attitude of what? An attitude of gratitude. Yeah, just have an attitude of gratitude. That's all you need in life. And what we're gonna talk about tonight is how that phrase that we grew up hearing all of our lives is incredibly misleading and can cause us to lose sight of what actually truly helps us to become thankful. Now we live in what's called a Western society, Western civilization. If you don't know what that means, it means if you live in America, you live in Western society. In Western society, there's this, uh, there's this desire to push harder and harder and harder to be busier and busier and busier we have a really hard time, right? On the Eastern side of the country, they would say that Westerners have a really hard time slowing down. They have a hard time taking a pause, taking a little break. And we've talked about this. We are the most anxious, we're the busiest, we're the most depressed our nation has ever been currently. Statistically. We're the most anxious, we're the busiest, and we are the most depressed. We have the most information we could ever want. It's at the touch of your fingertips. And yet, we find ourselves the most anxious, the most depressed nation that ever existed. I 
Our nation thrives off of whizzing, wear, whizzing, holy cow, <laughs> off of wearing. <laughs> Our nation thrives off of wearing busyness as a badge of honor. Right? We go around and, and, and we talk about how busy we are. We pride ourselves in 70-hour work weeks. We define success by the amount of money that we make. Right? We, we, we say things like, oh, let's never be satisfied. Right? We, we wear t-shirts that say, never satisfied, always hungry, never full. I know some of you are going, yeah, I guess that does kind of sound a little odd. That does kind of sound a little off. But yet our culture and our society is so for it. It's so for lack of rest. So often I, I hear people comparing the amount of hours that they're working in a week, comparing the busyness of their schedule. You know, and I, I hear it in young adults too. They'll go, yeah, yeah, I had a, you know, I worked for 40 hours and I had school and, you know, I, I, I had to do this as well. And somebody will go, 40 hours. I worked 50 hours this week and I had a full-time schedule at school and I have a baby and I got this going on. It's like, holy cow, dude, I'm sorry about that. Right, but, but we pride ourselves in how busy we are and it becomes a badge to us in our society, in our culture. And there's a stigma in our country, in America, where no rest is praised and rewarded. And I, I wanna be clear, I am not against working hard. I'm actually, I am, I'm a big, big advocate for making sure that we have really strong work ethics, that we work our butt off, and that what even God says is that whatever your hand finds it to do, do it with all your might. Work at it with all your might, that you give your best every single time that you come into work, that you go into school, that you show up as a parent, that you go, show up in your marriage, that you show up in your relationship, that you give it everything that you've got. The Bible talks plenty about not being lazy. So I, I am not sitting here going, hey, I'm promoting laziness or I'm promoting uh, just sit around all day and do nothing. Just read your Bible and don't do anything. That's how you live a healthy life. That's not what I'm saying. But I do wanna talk about this problem that we seem to have in America, that we seem to have in our society, that we seem to have in our culture where we don't take time to breathe. We do it once a year. We take time to breathe once a year. I'm like, yeah, Thanksgiving, go hang out with family. And what we do is we pause and we reflect about all the things that we're thankful for, for one day. And then the next day, back to the grind. What I find really crazy about this, really cool, is that God knew this is where we were going to go. God knew this is exactly where we were going to be. God knew that we were going to struggle with finding rest in our lives, in the busyness, that we were going to wear busyness as badges of honor. In the very beginning, God created the world in seven days or six days. 
And on the seventh day, he what? He rested, right? This was a very intentional thing on God's end because let me ask you this, did God need to rest? No. If anyone could wear busyness as the badge of honor, it would be God, and yet he doesn't. I mean, look around you, everything that we have. God was pretty busy. And yet God doesn't do that. And so I, I look at what, what God did and what God modeled on that seventh day. He rests and he shows us, hey, I'm not only going to tell you that you need to take a rest, but I am going to model it for you. I'm going to show you what this looks like. And then he gives us this commandment that says, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor the Sabbath day means the day of rest. Keep it holy means keep it set apart. That you need to be intentional about looking for rhythms of rest in your schedule. You know, God is God's super smart. He's a really smart, awesome, amazing God. There's this thing uh, that, that, uh, that the Jews would pray, it became a part of the Jewish tradition. It was uh, started about 450 years before Jesus and his disciples kind of entered the scene. And it's called this prayer of the Amida, A-M-I-D-A-H, Amida. And this was a Jewish prayer that they would pray three times a day in the Jewish temple to start off their temple services, to start off their temple gathering. And the whole prayer was meant to just posture their hearts towards going, God, there's a lot of busyness that we've got going on, but we want to look at all that you've done for us, remembering all that God's faithfulness and say, we're just going to posture our hearts towards thankfulness towards God. That's how they started off their services. And so Jesus and his disciples would have likely recited this over and over and over and over and over again. And here's what I believe God knew that I think you and I don't recognize as much. It's this, you and I, we never drift towards gratitude, but we always drift towards expectation. You and I will never drift towards being thankful, but we always drift towards our expectations. That's what I wanted. That's what I deserve. That's what's owed to me. And what do I mean by that? Oh, I want us to go to Joshua chapter four. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there. Joshua chapter four um, is where we're gonna be and we're gonna start in verse four. But before we do that, I want us to, to look at or to understand some of the context of what's going on and why what's happening is so important. So Joshua was the leader that came after a man named Moses. Now, some of you know Moses. Moses is the famous patriarch, the famous leader that took all the Israelites that were enslaved in Egypt out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea. I mean, you've probably seen it in movies or heard about it at some point in time. Stabs the staff in the ground and the Red Sea comes, it goes up on both sides to where all the Israelites walked on dry ground. I mean, if you were there 
I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't there, but if you were there, you'd probably be going, man, that is amazing. I mean, if you saw that, it'd be pretty hard to forget it, right? And then what happens? Right after that, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to receive the 10 commandments, to receive the law that God was gonna give him. He comes back down the mountain. What are the people doing? Worshiping foreign gods. They had literally taken the time to create gold images of other gods that they worshiped in Egypt. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just saw God do something that amazing and you went right back to your little gods. That's, that's unfathomable to me, right? And so, you know, God, you know, God punishes them, but also says, you know, I'm going to show grace and mercy to you. You're, I'm still going to lead you into the promised land. And so what he does is he takes them and they're on their way to the promised land. And they, they get literally like right there. And Moses goes, all right, we need to send 12 spies in. 12 spies, you're going to go observe the land. I want you to bring a report back to me. And I want to hear how things go. So they come back. They go in, they come back. Joshua and Caleb were the only two men that sat there and were like, hey, we can go take this. We've seen what God can do. God is so faithful. He's so good. He's done amazing works. He's so awesome. I mean, remember what he did with the Red Sea? He can totally take over this land. The other 10 people who went in there and said, there is no way we can take over any of those people. They're too big. They're too strong. They all forgot. So then what happened? So unfortunately, they decided not to go into the promised land. And God punishes them by saying, you're going to wander now for 40 years. You're going to wander. And guess what? Moses, you are not even going to be able to enter into the promised land. Oh, and everybody that is your age outside of Joshua and Caleb they're the only ones that are gonna to get to enter out of this group of people. It'll only be your kids that get to enter. So after the 40 years, then uh, what ends up happening is Moses passes on the leadership baton to Joshua. Now Joshua is the leader of the Israelite nation. And now they're on their way, like they are ready to go. They're gonna go and take over and they're gonna go into the promised land. But there's this barrier between them and the promised land and it's called the Jordan River. There's this Jordan River that is right in their way. Like, well, we can't go over it. We can't go around it. We definitely can't go under it. So we got to go through it. Now, if you're all these people, the Israelites, what, the, what, the, uh, what Joshua tells us is it was actually during flood season. Flood season uh, was during the harvest time of the year when the water was at such a high level and moving so rapidly that not only was really no one going to be able to enter into this water, uh, but this water was coming out over the banks. And actually, uh, it was, um, uh, what's the word? I can't think of it. But it was pretty much making all the grass even greener, and it was harvesting people's crops because there was so much water. The water was so plentiful. It was moving so quickly. Now, what I was trying to imagine, as I'm, as I'm thinking about this, as I'm reading this, I can only imagine the Israelites going, what in the world? There's no way we're going to be able to cross this. No way. Absolutely zero. And I'm just trying to imagine being Joshua for just a moment. Imagine, you're Joshua. People going, there's no way. Josh, we can't do this. No way. 
And what we know is that they did cross over, and I'm gonna sh- we're going to get into that in just a second. But what Joshua had to be thinking in that moment is, have you not seen? Do you not remember? God has done this before. He has done this before. How can you forget? I promise you, and I believe that he will do it again. He will do it again. So then they are down there. And Joshua sends these Levitical priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was meant to carry the very presence of God and they bring it down to the water. And the minute that the priests take a step on the water, it turns into dry ground. And so they're, you know, they're like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. So they bring them to the middle of the river so that everybody can get across the river the whole way through. So Levitical priests are just standing in the middle. All the Israelites are crossing from one side of the Jordan to the other. And they're all amazed because the water has literally stopped on both sides. And then God tells Joshua something that's very important. He says, Joshua, what I want you to do is I want you to go pick up 12 stones. 12 stones represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And I want you to take them into your camp. Because here's the thing I know about you. Here's the thing God knew about us. You're gonna forget. You're gonna forget. So what they do is, God tells Joshua this, and this is how Joshua responds. Joshua chapter four, verses four, says this. So Joshua called together the 12 men and had them, and he appointed them, Holy cow, I can't read. And he had appointed from the Israelites one from each tribe and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. And in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean, dad? Dad, why do we got these rocks here? Dad, why do we have to have the rock like blocking our tent? What are the rocks for, Dad? What are the rocks for, Mom? When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial, a remembrance to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. Now, why in the world did God place such an importance on gathering a few rocks? God knew you and I would forget. He knew the Israelites would forget. And for us, this is so important. And I I don't want us to miss this because this right here is so valuable, so crucial, and it's what God has for us. It was God, I really, really believe God is wanting us to gain from this is that gratitude is much more than an attitude. It's much more than an attitude. It has to be a practice. It has to be a practice. So many people say, well, you know, Shouldn't I have the right attitude? Bryce, you know, wouldn't it be ideal if I had the right attitude? It would be ideal if you had the right attitude. However, 
My question is this. Or I guess, well, here's what I know about you and me. You and I don't typically pursue or have great attitudes when things are uncomfortable or when things are best for us. We don't typically pursue and go after these things and go, yeah, I'm so excited about jumping into this very uncomfortable season of my life. Yeah, I'm so excited to jump into an area where I have zero control. God, that's so cool. I'm so excited to do what's best for me, to not do that and to start doing this. Man, that sounds like I'm gonna have such a great attitude about putting a pause to this relationship, right? Breaking up with this person. I love breaking up with people. It's awesome, right? No. Usually the things that are most uncomfortable and the things that are the best for us don't start out with us having a great attitude about them. I want us to, to think about this. Jeremiah says this about our hearts, that our hearts are always pursuing after that which is evil, that which is against us. Jeremiah 17, nine says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Meaning that you're always naturally going to go after the things that the things that you want most, most often are not the things that are best for you. The things that you want most, the things that you crave most in your life are most often the things that are not the best for you. This is why we never find ourselves drifting towards what's healthy for us, but rather we find ourselves drifting towards what's most damaging to us. You've never drifted into an awesome, amazing decision. Here's what I mean by that. You would probably agree, going to the gym is a really healthy thing to do. How many of you fell into the gym? How many of you accidentally showed up to the gym? Like, oh, I guess I'm here. How many of you accidentally, oh, I'm under the bench press. Oh, awesome. You know, I never accidentally fell into a squat rack, right? Right? You know, eating, eating, eating healthy foods is really good for you. You never find yourself drifting into a healthy meal. You never found yourself falling into some healthy food, some broccoli. You're like, nope, oh, nope. Professional athletes never fell into becoming professional athletes. They never drifted into it or just like, oh, I mean, I guess I'm really good at football. I never knew I had this in me. A, a wonderful, amazing musician didn't just fall into becoming a wonderful, amazing musician. Now, I want to take this to a different degree spiritually. I don't just fall into spending time with Jesus. I don't just fall into opening my Bible. I don't just fall into prayer. You never drifted into a good relationship. You never drifted into a healthy marriage. And so often, 
we lose sight and think that we're just gonna drift into a healthy lifestyle. We're just gonna fall into it. It's just gonna hit us one day. Now, let me ask you this. What did all of those require? They all require practice. They all required some discipline. They all required stepping outside of my comfort zone and doing things consistently that I know were gonna make a change for me. Right, one thing that we always say is a small shift in direction leads to a meaningful change in destination. There is a small shift, a shift that needs to be taken. And with these things, it's, I'm gonna practice them. I'm gonna start doing it. Now, ideally, right, go back to what we were talking about. Ideally, it'd be awesome if you had a great attitude towards gratitude. I go, that'd be amazing. I'm just gonna say for myself personally, and I know for a lot of people in this room, it doesn't start out with an amazing attitude. It has to start with some practice. And what ends up happening is the practice starts to shift our attitudes. The practice starts to shift our attitudes. And this is why gratitude has to be way more than just an attitude. It has to be a practice. And as I close, I wanna invite the band up and here's something so true that you and I lose sight of all the time, and it's this. Our ability to trust God with our future is almost always connected to our ability to remember God's faithfulness in our past. Our ability to trust God with our future, to say, God, I'm gonna trust you. I know you're asking me to take this step. My ability to do that is always tethered to, always connected to my ability to remember, God, I've seen you do it before. I'm gonna see you do it again. And I can promise you, if you don't have practices set up in your life, you will always drift towards forgetfulness, and into decisions and into regretful mistakes that you never wanted to make, you never thought you would have made. I know it's because it's what happened to Adam and Eve. It's what happened to David. It's what happened to the Israelites. It's what happened to Peter. And guess what? It's what's happened to me. And I'm sure it's happened to a lot of you. So I have a question. What if you place a stone down for every time God had been faithful in helping you overcome a moment of anxiety or fear? What if in your life you had, a, you had some way of putting stones, some rocks in your room or in your house that were going, man, this is to represent this one time that God was really faithful in my life. And over time, you might see these stones, these rocks building up.
And here's what I noticed about myself as I was processing and wrestling through this message is this, and I, I think a lot of us actually do this. I tend to pick up stones. I tend to pick up rocks where people have hurt me. Where I've been holding on to some unforgiveness. Where I've been holding on to some tragedy. I remember those things very well. I remember when someone wronged me. I remember when you didn't give me what I deserved. And I've been picking up rocks for so long. I got all these rocks that I remember. And something I felt like God was just challenging me, Bryce, what would it look like to put down some of those rocks and to start picking up rocks that remind you of the faithfulness that I've had in your life? my question to you, what would it look like if you started dropping rocks? What would it look like for you if you started to really go, man, what does it look like for me to forgive these people? What does it look like for me to really wrestle through a lot of the stuff that I went through? And then to maybe start picking up some stones. It doesn't have to be all the stones, but maybe just one stone. Where has God been faithful in my life? And maybe for you, you have a really hard time even looking at that. That's okay. I'm so glad that you're here. You know, for, for myself, I, I was really challenged by this as I was preparing it and thinking about it and going, man, like what are some practices I have in my own life? And one thing I, you know, got from this book, Atomic Habits, a really great book. And it says, what's one thing that you do consistently on an every single day basis? I knew that I get up. I mean, quite literally, I look in the mirror every single day. So because a new habit that you want to create, a new practice that you want to create, attach it to the thing that you do every single day already. So I went to my mirror and I put on, on my mirror, what are you thankful for today? Question mark. And my wife comes home and she sees it on the mirror and she's like, what in the world is that? I'm like, hey, this is something I want us to start doing. I want us to start uh, going before, before, right before we go to bed. I want us to start thinking about something that we're really thankful for. I want us to be specific and not like say, oh yeah, babe, I'm thankful for you. <laughs> no, babe, I'm thankful for you. No, babe, really, I'm like, I'm thankful for you, right? Like not make it about that, but go, what am I, what am I specifically thankful for today? Where have I seen God working today? And you know what happened? Nothing. Like I was expecting like, oh, mountains are gonna move, right? All these awesome things, like there's gonna be money showing up in my bank account, like that is awesome, right? God's so good. That didn't happen. But here's what did happen. We created a practice that when those moments come up that God is going, Bryce, Jess, do you trust me? That we have this practice that has been set up in our marriage, in our lives to go, God, I've seen you do it before. I saw you do it yesterday. I saw you do it the day before. That when that thing comes up today, I promise you, I will follow you and I will trust you today. What for you 
is going to help you set up those practices to be proactive rather than reactive. So often in the church, I see it, it happens all the time where it's like, oh, uh, you know, until tragedy strikes, I'm not going to start working on my stuff. I'm not going to start taking steps until something really, really bad happens. Oh man, I go to God when something in my life goes wrong. Let's go, man, what does it look like for me? That, that literally takes a minute every single day. What am I thankful for? What are you thankful for? Awesome. Maybe for you, you look at your phone every single day. If you have a phone, I can guarantee you probably look at it every single day. What would it look like to just set a reminder on your phone? Say, hey, Siri, you please remind me every single day at noon. Ask me the question, what are you thankful for today? Oftentimes we think that happiness or that, that thankfulness is a byproduct of our happiness. Thankfulness is a byproduct. Well, I'll be happy and then I'll be thankful. As long as I get what I want, as long as I get what's owed to me, as long as I get what I deserve, then I'll be thankful. But rather, it's the other way around. That thankfulness, gratitude, precedes joy, precedes happiness. And so this year, what would it look like for you to not just make being thankful a once a year thing, but that would become a once a week thing? Or for you, maybe it might be a once a day thing or once a month thing. How do you create practices of gratitude, habits of gratitude that will shift your perspective? And when things come, when God asks you, do you trust me? That you go, God, I've seen you do it before. I'm gonna watch you do it right here, right now in this place. Gratitude is way more than an attitude. It must be a practice. Let's pray. Father, I, God, I just ask that you would really help us to consider these things that you have for us, God, that um, in our personal daily lives, God, that... Uh, that, Lord, as you're convicting us of, of things that we might need to do, God, whether it is writing something on a mirror, whether it is whenever I wake up to journal, that I might journal this question, what am I thankful for today? God, that uh, whenever we um, are, are, are going throughout our days, that we might have some sort of reminder, whether it's at our work or maybe we do literally put a stone on our desk at work um, in our workplace that says, this is my reminder that I am going to be thankful for what God has done because I know know that as God asks me to take another step one day, that I'm going to trust him. Because our ability to trust you, Lord, we know is so connected to our ability to remember your faithfulness in our past. And God, you have been so faithful. I know so many people in here are wrestling with whether or not they can actually see that or feel that. But God, I ask that you would speak to them in this moment, right here, right now, that God, just the beauty and the fact that they are here shows how much you love and how much you care about them. God, that you have something in store for us. We love you. We thank you for loving us first that we get to love you in return. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.